Welcome to this Good Friday service. It feels different to last time I was with you in person, but isn't it great that we can still meet together in this way? Easter in Australia brings with it a new season, autumn. As a new Queenslander, I'm delighted, may I tell you. The rain has finally stopped. I wondered if it ever would. The humidity's dropped a little. And wow, even the sun sleeps beyond 5 a.m., which is really, really cool. I'm an early riser anyway, but wow, 4.30 was a tough initiation. Here we are at Easter 2020. It's different to what we imagine. We're locked down. Many of you no doubt had plans of being elsewhere at such a time as this, and there you are, stuck in your home. Isn't it good to know we have a God who knows the beginning from the end? And this has taken him by no surprise. He knew that we would be here in this way together this morning. And I reckon he stands ready to bless us as we explore his word together. I do hope you've managed some Easter normality. Hopefully you've got a hot cross bun or two into the system. Of course, smeared with thick butter. We're going to share in communion later on. There'll be an invitation to do that. So you might want to get your juice and bread ready now. A hot cross bun will do if that's all you've got, providing you haven't already down to six pack, then that's more than adequate. We'll look forward to doing that. Also want to mention that we'll have the version app. The notes are available for the message today in there. If you search events and then Access Church North Lakes, you're going to find the notes to today's message. We're in a new series, I Am, through the book of John. The Gospel of John, seven statements made by Jesus that reveal his identity. There's no bigger question to answer at Easter time than who is Jesus Christ? Who is this man? Who is this man that lived 2,020 years ago and we're still talking about him today? Now, I don't imagine your ego is so big, certainly mine isn't, that in 2,020 years from now, the year 4,040, people would still be talking about us. So isn't it curious that we're still talking about Jesus so far beyond the time that he walked this earth? British author C.S. Lewis tells us why it matters that we put our own title on Jesus, that we, that we do our own work exploring this historical character and working out what it is we think about him. He says we must decide what we think of Jesus. The options he presents are liar, lunatic or Lord. Liar, lunatic or Lord. Now, some might push back and go, that all sounds a bit dramatic. Why can't I just think about Jesus as a, as a nice guy? Why can't I consider him to be a good prophet? Why can't I just be nominal about my outlook of Jesus? I mean, I don't want to offend you if he's someone special to you, but why should I think of him in such dramatic fashion? Liar, lunatic or Lord? Well, Lewis is right to suggest that we must make a call on Jesus. Easter's a good time to do that, a good time to explore if you haven't already. You see, Jesus, in his own words, said, please don't be lukewarm about me. I would rather you hate me than be nominal about me, than be kind of in between, than be kind of half-hearted, than be kind of sitting on the fence. Jesus, Jesus just despises that. He says, please, please don't do that. Rather you call me liar, rather you call me lunatic than be lukewarm. So what's your position on Jesus? Is he a liar? 
It's possible that he walked this earth deliberately misleading people, knowing he was no one special, claiming to be God, but all along having this grand plan to deceive the masses. It's possible. We can call him liar. We can call him lunatic, that he, in his own mind, thought he was divine, thought he was God, thought he was someone special, and he just didn't know any better. He was just not with it up here. So he was a lunatic. Or we can call him Lord. That's who he said he was. I'll declare my hand early here and say, that's what I call him. But you don't have to call him that. You ought to do your own work. You ought to do your own exploration to work out what Jesus means to you. You get to make that call. Just know this. Jesus wants people to make a call. Jesus wants people to make a call. So this Good Friday, 2020 years after Jesus walks the earth, who is he? What was his true identity? Who was this man? We're exploring this through John's gospel. Now we're going to jump in at number three in this series because of our Easter theme. So Jesus already made two claims by the time we get to John chapter 10. In John 6, he's already said, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 8, Jesus has said, I am the light of the world. We're going to pick up on those two statements in coming weeks. For today, for the sake of Good Friday, for the sake of us coming at this through the lens of Easter, I want to look at this third statement in the Gospel of John that Jesus made comes up in chapter 10 where he says, I am the door, I am the gatekeeper, I am the doorkeeper of my network. A strange statement, let's explore it together. I'm reading from John chapter 10, starting at verse 1. It says this, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens for him and the sheep recognise his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They'll come and go and will find good pastures. And we ask that the Lord would add his blessing to the reading of his holy word today. So this first statement of Jesus in the I am series that we consider together, I am the gate, I am the door, I am the gatekeeper of your life. Now we can acknowledge about all seven of these statements in John that we'll explore in future weeks. They're first and foremost about Jesus. They're not about us. They're about him revealing his identity to us. They're first and foremost about him, not me. But I can't help but notice that each one of these seven statements actually will address deep human need, deep longings in the human spirit. 
deep cries of our soul. Even Blind Freddy could make that connection. They appeal to deep human longings that we all have. So what does this one reveal? I am the door. I am the gate. I am the doorkeeper of your life. It appeals to our deep human longing to have a best friend. I think in a nutshell, that's what Jesus is saying here. I'm willing to be your best friend. He's self-identifying this is who I am. We long to have people in our lives like that. People in whose company we can breathe deep. It's like we know we're home. We know we're safe. We don't have to put on some kind of a performance around them. They just know us. They get us. We can relax in their company. Jesus is saying right off the bat, I am that person. I am that person. I am the person who's got your back. I can be that in your life. I can be the most intimate friend you could ever imagine. I'm that person when you're absent from a room and your name is getting slammed. I'm that person that would run to your defence. In fact, I'm that person that would interject in a conversation before it even gets to that point. When I, when I see a conversation take a certain turn, I'm the, I'm the type of friend that would jump in right there and say something positive to turn that conversation back around because I'm the gatekeeper of your life. Question, why is Jesus making such a claim? I am the door. Was there an elephant flying overhead with a door and it's back and he was just like, hey guys, have I ever mentioned, have I ever mentioned now that I see that I am the door? No, 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 of course not. It's far more grounded than that. It's, it, it's, it's locked in rationale. Jesus is saying, I am the best ever friend you can imagine. Jesus here in John 10 is actually contrasting himself with the other carers. If we go back to the previous chapter, chapter 9, and we understand that in the New Testament, in the Bible as a whole, the chapters weren't there in the original writings. The numbers of chapters and verses have been put there for our benefit. They weren't there in the first place. So, so John 9 and John 10 is one continuous account of the life of Jesus. So if we go back to the end of chapter 9, what we find is Jesus clashing with those who were the spiritual gurus of the time. At the end of chapter 9, he essentially looks at these guys and goes, oh, you're a hopeless bunch. You're a hopeless bunch. You're, you're of no help at all. Really, John? Did Jesus speak like that? Pretty much. He calls them spiritually blind. He said, you're blind guides. At the end of John 9, verse 40, this interaction, if we want to call it that, he, he says to these Pharisees, these religious gurus of the time who are standing nearby, uh, they, they say to him in response to these criticisms, are you saying we're blind? In verse 41, Jesus says, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Interpretation, yes, absolutely, you're blind and you're guilty. What we've stumbled then upon as we begin John 10 is a showdown between Jesus and all who claim to have spiritual authority up until now. And Jesus couldn't be any less flattering in his appraisal 
of these guys. He's basically looking at them and this is bold, this is courageous, this is next level, forthright communication. With them standing in the circle, he he essentially looks at his followers and says, don't trust these guys. They are blind guides and they are deceptive. They don't come through the front door. Jesus essentially starts a rant here and for the sake of time, We'll only dissect a little bit that applies to our subject today because it's going to come up in a future week when we get to I am the good shepherd. But in verse 1 of John 10, he says, These blind guides come to you with shady intentions. That's why they can't enter the front door. They've got to sneak in because they really only want to be your friends for what they can get out of it. And he's contrasting his own level of friendship, his own style of leadership, his, only, his own spiritual guidance by saying, I'm not like that at all. I would come through the front door. I don't have any hidden agendas. I don't have any deceptive motives going on. So I, the, the, the true shepherd, the, this, me, the, the true door comes in through the front. So he's contrasting himself with them. He doesn't just say he comes through the front door, though. He makes this stunning claim. Not only would I come through the front door as a true friend, he goes on to say, I am the door. I am the door. Think about the function of a door for a moment. I wouldn't be surprised if you'd never done that. They're kind of just practical part of our lives that we don't stop and think about what is their function? What are they there for? We, we probably pass through hundreds of them on a daily basis, at least in normal life when we're moving around. And we don't stop to think, what is the purpose of a door? Can I suggest there's two basic primary purposes of a door? Keep the right stuff in, keep the wrong stuff out. Keep the stuff in that we want in our homes, for example, like the right temperature. Keep toddlers in that we might think are vulnerable if the door was open, they ran out into danger. So we're keeping the right stuff in with the door and we're keeping the wrong stuff out. If the weather's hot or cold, we shut the door to keep the temperature in. It it guards against the things coming in that we don't want in, whether that be bad weather or whether that be danger of some kind, whether that be a bird that wants to come in and nest inside our homes. So we close our doors to keep things out. That's one purpose of a door. Secondly, a door is there to keep the right things in. To keep the right things in, we want to keep our toddlers inside to keep them safe. Again, if it were hot or cold outside, we want to keep keep that air out. So we maintain temperature by keeping our door shut. Doors are powerful. Doors matter. Doors control things. Right now, if you came to Axis Church, you can't enter the building. We're in lockdown mode. We're following governmental regulations to do that. We have to. You can't come into the building because the door is locked. Doors are powerful things, aren't they? So this is a really authoritative statement by Jesus to say, I am the door. I'm the door of your life. I control what comes in. By now, I hope you're ready to push back. I hope there's a tension arising in your mind. I hope you're not just accepting this on face value because I've found a problem. I hope you have too. 
if Jesus is the gatekeeper of our lives, how do we explain X, Y and Z? How do we explain all the bad stuff? How do we explain to the people that have just lost their jobs this week that Jesus is at the door of your life and he's your protector and he's your guardian? Doesn't make sense, does it? How do we explain to those who've lost jobs this week? How do we explain to people who've lost loved ones and can't attend funerals due to restrictions? How do we explain to someone who's just been diagnosed with that dreaded virus? Jesus is the door, keeping bad stuff out. Because he certainly doesn't seem to be doing that at times, yeah? Do Jesus' followers get special treatment? We'll explore this a little more on Easter Sunday. For now, I'll say a careful yes. Why careful? Because I want to encourage you today, and yet my love for you blocks me from over-promising something I can't promise. I can't promise that bad stuff won't come into your home. Because in some cases this week, you can push back and say, too late, John, it's already happening. The job's already gone. How do we interpret all this? Well, a skeptic watching says, you've done nothing to convince me, John. I lie, lunatic, or Lord, I'll go with lunatic because Jesus can't deliver on what he's promising. So he's overestimated his capabilities. If he's saying he's the door, then look at what's going on in the world. He's doing a lousy job of being a door. Lunatic. If that's your conclusion as a sceptic, you get that right. You get to make that call. That's yours to make. May the Lord bless you anyway. If you're not a sceptic this morning but a saint, but a weary one, Wondering how does all this fit together? How could it be true that Jesus is a door when there's so much coming into my life that's not welcomed? That's just terrible. Let's talk for a sec about how Jesus functions as a door. And we're going to talk straight this Easter. We've got some issues. I do. Not theological problems with Jesus. It sounds terrific to have a trustworthy friend at the front door of my life guarding everything that's going on. My problem isn't theory. My problem isn't doctrinal. My problem is functional. I mean, the door doesn't seem to be adequate to cope with the onslaught, the threats that keep showing up and knocking on it. What kind of a door is Jesus? Is he old and flimsy and therefore just incapable of keeping out the threats? Or is he like a security door that lets the wind through, that lets some of the elements come through because there's some stuff in my life right now that stinks? What kind of a door is Jesus? Many of us scan across the recesses of our, recesses, rather, of our lives right now and go, I've got some security issues. If Jesus is the bouncer at my front door, it ain't working. It's not working. So what kind of a door is Jesus? I'm sorry if you think I'm leading you to a neat and tidy conclusion here, because I'm not. I can't. Jesus doesn't give us a neat and tidy conclusion. 
what I can explain is the kind of door Jesus is. See, in first century Israel, our understanding of a good shepherd would be one who laid themselves in front of the sheepfold, they themselves, their own human body being the door. So when Jesus says, I am the door of, the, of my sheepfold, he's, he's essentially saying, I lay across there. I make myself vulnerable. I put my own life at risk in order to guard yours. I remember growing up, I used to often ride a motorbike with my dad. He owned a motorbike shop. And ever since I'm four years old, I've been on motorbikes. Sometimes I would go out for a ride with him on a road bike on a trip and it'd be a windy day and it'd be cold and I'd begin to complain saying, I'm cold back here, it's so windy. And you know what my dad would do in that moment if he'd hear me through the helmet? He would duck. He'd duck down and he'd let me feel the full force of the wind and it nearly blew me off the back of the bike. I wonder when we sometimes attempted to complain about the job Jesus is doing as a door, I wonder if we should step back and reflect and ask ourselves, what would it be like if he wasn't there? What would it be like to live life without him acting as a door? See, the biggest problem with our dilemmas in terms of is Jesus failing to be the door is Maybe not on Jesus' side, but maybe on my side. Maybe my interpretation of John chapter 10, where I read the, the, this, these words about Jesus being a door in, the, in a functional manner rather than a relational manner. Jesus is saying, I love you so much that I stand at the door of your life and risk my own to protect yours. Jesus doesn't offer us all neat and tidy answers to all of our questions this Easter. And by the way, there's nothing about Easter neat and tidy. The first Easter was brutal. You say, John, finally you're getting around to talking about Easter and the cross. What's the cross got to do with doors? Well, namely this, the cross is the key to heaven's door. The cross is the key to heaven's door. It was the thing that unlocked the door of heaven where God says everybody can come in now. The cross of Jesus flicked the switch. The cross of Jesus was the trigger that enabled me again to relate to a holy God, terribly sinful and flawed and broken though I may be. I can come to him through the cross in humility and get a fresh start. The cross is the key to heaven's door. Easter doesn't give us neat and tidy answers to all of our questions. Easter does, however, give us a cross. Give us a cross. And may I suggest this Good Friday, that's enough. That's enough. If we fully understand and looked into the eyes of the men who hung there saying, I love you this much. It changed everything. 
not only does the cross then become the key to heaven's door, it becomes the key to my door, to me opening my heart towards God. See, once you've seen in your mind's eye a saviour hanging on the cross, you can't be indifferent, you can't shrug your shoulders and just be like whatever. You can't be lukewarm. You have to call him something. Liar, lunatic or Lord. I choose to call him Lord. I pray this Easter you would do the same. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, it was you who said, greater love has no one than this. They lay down their life for their friends. Thank you, Jesus, that you have done that. You have made a public demonstration of your love for us. And God, when we attempted to question, do you care, do you see, do you understand? Thank you that we can look to the cross. We see a demonstration of, yes, you do care. Yes, you do see our suffering. You shared in our suffering. And yes, you do understand. So Lord, even when life feels terribly bad, thank you that you are still incredibly good. So for those who already have personal relationship with Jesus, be reminded today, he is the door. He is the guardian. He is watching over you. And I know right now it's a massive, massive, massive thing to trust him. But he stands there making his own self vulnerable on our behalf again this Easter. Thank you, Jesus. If you've never responded to making Jesus your Lord, this Easter is a wonderful time to do it. Throw yourself upon him today. Invite him to take up residence in your home, to take up front and centre in the doorway of your life, to make a home in your heart. You can invite him right now in this moment. Jesus, be my Lord and Saviour. Jesus, be my door. The Bible says that what we need to do is to repent. This simply means stop going my way, turn around and start going God's way. The Bible calls this repentance. Stop going my way, turn around and start going God's way. This repentance is just a simple acknowledgement. God, I am not qualified to run my own life. And I'm giving it over to you. I need a saviour. Call out to Jesus today to be your saviour, to be your Lord. Ask him for his mercy, for his forgiveness, for his protection, and he will come to you in this moment. If you're making this decision for the first time, we would love to hear your story and connect with you. So please find a way of doing that. Thank you. Bless you in Jesus' name.